This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Tonight, San Francisco miracle. You can hardly recognize the Golden City. Folks say, oh, they're just cleaning up this place because all those fancy leaders are coming into town. The junkies disappeared. The needles are gone who finally let the police do their jobs, and will it continue? Cynical and sinister. They call it a march for peace, but call for the death of Israel and try to attack police. Imagine if they had tiki torches instead of kafiyas, what these demonstrators really want. Generation lost. Ten-plus teenagers gang up and kill a young man trying to protect a friend. Why hasn't anyone been arrested? $75 million for a coach to go away. The latest example of college athletics run amok. How all of us are subsidizing Jimbo Fisher's golden parachute. We'll follow the money. Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight from Washington, we explore the new San Francisco. Video shows an incredible transformation. Beleaguered San Francisco is suddenly spotless. The junkies are gone. The homeless camps have disappeared. Crime evidently is no longer a problem. And no, Batman didn't show up. But President Biden will later this week for the APEC summit that includes the president of China. The Secret Service put its big fences in to keep people out. Thus, San Francisco is now almost livable again. But the governor says it won't last long. I know folks say, oh, they're just cleaning up this place because all those fancy leaders are coming into town. Um, That's true because it's true. But it's also true for months and months and months prior to APEC, we've been having different conversations. I've listened to politicians talk for a long time. I do it for a living. I have no idea what, quote, different conversations mean. It's for a different night. But the policies of San Francisco come as close to the liberal utopia as you get in America. Shoplifting is legal, and it got so bad, stores closed. Even Whole Foods left San Francisco. But when you ask the White House, about what's happened here, both what was happening in San Francisco and what happened for the president's visit, they see little irony in the situation. San Francisco has cleaned up their streets ahead of President Biden and President Xi's meeting. They've moved homeless to other parts of the city, cleared tent cities and trash off the street. Is the president embarrassed that an American city needs to go through a total makeover to be presentable for his out-of-town guests? The president is incredibly proud Okay, 
And to be fair, the new San Francisco is something to be proud of, at least for now. Chairman of San Francisco's Republican Party, John Dennis, is with us now. John, every time we talk, I make the joke that chairman of the Republican Party is a lonely job, but I hear voter registration for Republicans are up. So uh, there you go. You have more friends now. Uh, Are you surprised at sort of how easy it was to clean up the city? No, because for years, all of us, many of us, were saying that it wasn't going to be that difficult to do if we just recognized what the problem was and then took away the incentives to attract people to San Francisco. As you know, there's an entire industry, a homeless industrial complex, if you will, who uh, you know get a lot of money from the city and from, uh, from donors to, to perpetuate this problem. And if, if the city were actually to act and enforce the law and, uh, and stop the disincentives for people to come, then that would dry up. And so I fully expect that while uh, President Xi is in town, that we're going to have put on our, our, our best face. Uh, as soon as he leaves, the, uh, the, the, the homeless industrial complex train is going to roll right back in. Yeah, I've got to give credit to whoever in the control room wrote clean for Xi and not for thee. Uh, that's pretty clever. <laughs> um, they're, 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 hey, look, I, I cannot take credit. Um, but what I think is interesting, and I think we've got to be fair about this, right? How much of this is purely cosmetic, being, meaning outside the secure area? Because it would, it would make sense. The Secret Service would say, hey, we don't want homeless people inside the secure area. We've got to have defensible space around where the president is. Was this cleaning out just a small pocket, or is this cleaning out the whole town because of the, the journalists and the dignitaries and the business people and everybody else coming in? Oh, well, certainly not the whole town. You know, uh, my neighbor, and when I mean my neighbor, I mean the guy whose garage space is right next to mine, was graffiti tagged today. And I'm, I'm in Pacific Heights in San Francisco. So it certainly isn't the whole town that's, uh, being, uh, that, that's being cleaned up. By the way, I did want to make one point. Interestingly, Joe Biden has been in San Francisco a number of times recently, and certainly sir, uh, during his, uh, uh, his tenure as president. And the city was not cleaned up just for him, but it's only when President Xi comes into town that uh, that the city gets cleaned up. Hmm. And I think one of the things that we're facing here, Leland, let's say that there was a sustained effort starting from this day um, that San Francisco is going to be cleaned up. Or we're going to stop the incentives to attract the drug addicted to come to San Francisco. I suspect it would take the better part of a decade for us to restore our reputation internationally. So um, so this might I think is I think it's a it's a one off. I think we're going to go right down the same path again hmm. and uh, and. And we're probably not going to recover for some time. Yeah, it almost reminds me of the old Soviet times when the, you know somebody would come to town and they'd stack all the potatoes really high or something like that to, to show the dear leader that things things were okay. You and made what, a good point about. I just was going to say this. Go ahead. When Republicans ran this city, which was some time ago, granted, the city didn't have these these kinds of problems. Had nothing. In fact, the things that you think about San Francisco, Golden Gate Bridge, the Bay Bridge, uh, trolley cars, all the great things about San Francisco were all built when Republicans ran the city. Hmm. And what's interesting is I don't think anybody would deny that these problems would not exist if Republicans were in San Francisco right now. Let me get I I got 10 seconds. I'm going to give you the last word. I'm not I'm not sure I could go as far as to agree with you. It's a partisan issue uh, because, look, Chicago was run by Democrats for a long time. And up up until recently, it was a really phenomenal city. Real quick. um, Are you hearing any desire, even among sort of the elite liberal class now that San Francisco's clean to keep it this way? 
Yeah, well, two things that liberals love is one being projecting and uh, having a projection of being better than you, and they love their money. And their money's being affected right now because business is down across the city. Real estate prices are down across the city. So there is a, a movement amongst moderate Republicans mm. to take the Republican line, which is to reestablish law and order and a clean, safe city to, where you can do business. I, I would say that was a little more than 10 seconds, but it was a, it was a thorough answer. Thank you, sir. We'll have you back. Uh, we appreciate it. Enjoy APEC in San Francisco. Uh, it's becoming increasingly clear protesters at home and abroad have far more sinister intentions, more sinister desires than just a ceasefire in Gaza. 300,000 marched through London. You can see the flags with placards defending Hamas and demanding the killing of Jews. Britain's equivalent of Homeland Security chief said police should confront the marcher. She was fired. And then she tweeted, the sick, inflammatory, and in some cases clearly criminal chants, placards, and paraphernalia openly on display at the march mark a new low. Anti-Semitism and other forms of racism together with the valorizing of terrorism on display is deeply troubling. Deeply troubling may be an understatement. The same thing is happening here in America. There was one in Austin, Texas as well over the weekend. Look, it's pretty simple. We've told you what those chants mean. Intifada is a popular uprising by Arabs to kill Jews. From the river to the sea, the Mediterranean River, Mediterranean Sea to the Jordan River, uh, wipe out the state of Israel. If you follow the chants, it's first kill the Jews, but it's then kill the rest of the infidels. That's all non-Muslims. College campuses are ground zero, of course, for the wave of pro-Hamas craziness. MIT is the latest example. What happened at MIT is extraordinarily telling because that student's reacting when the school's president didn't follow through on threats to suspend them for threatening fellow students. So there was a bunch of pro-Hamas demonstrators who threatened fellow students, and then the president backed down. This is what the president wrote. We heard serious concerns about the collateral consequences for the students, such as visa issues. The students who remained after the deadline will be suspended from non-academic campus activities. This is the translation. This is important. She was worried that foreign students who organized the rally, if they were actually suspended for doing some pretty hateful and absurd and repulsive things on campus, if they were suspended as the rules demand, they would be deported. Lily Cohen is experiencing this firsthand. She's a Jewish student at Northwestern University who penned an op-ed about feeling vilified. Uh, as an alumni there, I'm interested in talking to you, Lily. She's also joined by Rabbi Shmuley Botek, uh, author of Kosher Hate, How to Fight Jew Hatred, Racism, and Bigotry. Rabbi, it is good to see you as well. Lily, I want to start with you. Um, I went to Northwestern. It's pretty shameful um, what is being allowed to happen to Jewish students there. I think what's fascinating about MIT is that the, the president kind of, I don't think she meant to, but said the quiet part out loud. She told the truth about the foreign students organizing this. Do you feel the same things happening at Northwestern with foreign students being behind a lot of this? 
Uh, thank you so much for having me. I don't know if that's uh, quite similar to what's happening at Northwestern. Uh, a lot of the students who are organizing our Students for Justice in Palestine rallies and protests uh, are American students um, from an array of different backgrounds. Uh, and it's definitely concerning to see what's happening at other schools. Um, there's a lot of similarities at Northwestern, but I, uh, I think um, in terms of, you know, hearing chants of from the river to the sea and uh, and seeing posters of hostages in Gaza being torn down, um, uh, that's happening here as well as as well as at schools all over the country. Yeah. Yep. And obviously, uh, we all lived through how Northwestern handled other uh, times that students felt unsafe uh, on campus. It was handled quite differently. Rabbi Boteg, um, help us understand, I know you've studied this, right, that the pro-Palestine, if you want to call that movement, is rooted in this neo-Marxist, socialist, one-time Soviet kind of viewpoint. And I'm wondering what you, if you are seeing any connections now to the groups that are supporting uh, Hamas and, and the Palestinians uh, with that same kind of movement where the Soviets supported the PLO back in the day. This is much worse than anything which is neo-Marxist or communist or socialist. That goes back to the, uh, let's say, all the major demonstrations in the Vietnam era where people were almost supporting a communist Vietnam, USSR. This is much worse. You're talking about people who are supporting Hamas, who are supporting women being brutalized, uh, teenage girls who have boyfriends being uh, decapitated and murdered, LGBTQ Palestinians being being, uh, castrated. Uh, you're talking about the suppression of any kind of political dissent. Let's say the Israel haters on campus at MIT, at Harvard, at NYU, let's say they got Northwestern, let's say they got their wish. Israel disappears, either through some terrible thing, God forbid, which let's say they don't want that. Let's say six million Jews agree, let's go live in Florida. Middle East is too dangerous. Is that going to stop Hamas, Syria, all these vile Arab entities who destroy Arab lives Syria murdered 600,000 Arabs. Nobody gives a damn. Hamas has stolen every last penny of the Palestinian people, not to build a single bomb shelter, not to bring a single school. No, Even the Shifa Hospital is just a small veneer of the yeah, no, uh, Rabbi, Rabbi, we're going to get to Shifa Hospital in a minute. Lily, yeah. Lily I, think, I think it's important because you made a point that there are a lot of students who are out there protesting of all backgrounds. I, I get the first couple of days that you see pictures of babies or uh, pictures of quote-unquote civilians in Gaza on and on, pulls at the heartstrings, kids tend to have, uh, you know, protest first, learn second. How many weeks in, right, of from the river to the sea and intifada, intifada, on and on, how many weeks in do you give people credit for they may not exactly know what they're marching for until you go, if you show up at one of these protests where people are chanting for the annihilation of, of Israel, then that's what you believe. Well, I think at Northwestern, it was made clear last year. I wrote an op-ed last year about the fact that From the River to the Sea was a call for the destruction of the state of Israel. And so I think maybe the first couple of days when students on campus right after October 7th started protesting, maybe they didn't know what they were protesting for or what they were saying. Uh, But I think very quickly, uh, I think reality has to hit and they have to be held accountable for for the anti-Semitic and just really hateful rhetoric that they're spewing at Northwestern and on campuses across the country. Rabbi, I'll I'll give you the last 30 seconds here. Uh, Where are we in the arc arc of this? 
Are, are you starting uh, to see well, a realization in Western civilization, sort of, it, it's, not necess- it's not about a ceasefire in Gaza, may not even be really about Jews, that there, there is a, there's, a, there's a deeper undercurrent and organization to this that has a lot more to do with, with taking on Western culture, um, as I said, sort of that, that Marxist culture, than it does uh, simply about uh, even, even what's going on, whether or not Israel exists. Uh, Leland, you're absolutely right. This is much more than the Jews. You're talking about the disintegration of any support for the liberalism of the West, women to dress the way, the way they want, people to have uh, live their lives the way they want, uh, liberal, free democracy to speak out the way they want. We don't have a single Arab democracy out of 40 countries that surround Israel. So um, this is a threat to the West. First they come for the Jews, then they come for everyone else. And I'm so yeah. sorry for students on campus, Jewish students who are experiencing the most volatile, disgusting yeah. anti-Semitism. And these campuses have a responsibility to uproot it, to protect the Jewish students, because first they come for the Jews, then they come for everybody else. Oh, well, we, we, know, we, know stu- we know schools know how to stifle dissent. They did it certainly during uh, 2020. And anybody who would dare say anything conservative. So they, they know how to do it. They just have chosen not to here. Uh, Rabbi Lilly, thank you very much. We appreciate your time. Uh, we want you at home you. Uh, to become part of the conversation. Sign up for War Notes. It gives you a free look at the show every day at 4 p.m. Just go to readwarnotes.com. Readwarnotes.com. Subscribe. It's free. The notes started as our internal email discussion about the most important events of the day. It's literally how we put the show together, our thoughts, our analysis, uh, you get to be part of it, and you can respond to the email with your thoughts. We're going to start reading some of those on the program. You can also join us on social media anytime, at Leland Vittert on Instagram or Twitter. That's readwarnotes.com and subscribe for free. Overnight, three hoodlums tried to break into a car in the wealthy Georgetown neighborhood of D.C. We don't normally cover local crime, but it is home to multi-million dollar townhouses, senators, cabinet secretaries, ambassadors, all these kind of important people, and... President Biden's granddaughter. The thieves picked the wrong car. It belonged to the Secret Service detail protecting Naomi Biden. One agent fired his weapon at the would-be thieves and missed. Understandably, it scared the thieves off. Yes, the Secret Service missed. But think of all the other victims who wish that they could fight back like that, too. And there's a lot of victims. Carjackings in D.C. up to 183 this year so far. More than 6,000 motor vehicle thefts. The mayor's handing out free air tags to prevent car thefts. Vehicle thefts, as we said, up 98%. Violent crime up 40%. Conceivably, the threats to the younger Biden would have come from MAGA extremists. After all, the White House says MAGA extremists are the greatest threat to America's homeland. Noteworthy that her Secret Service detail opened fire on hoodlums empowered by the far left soft on crime policies. Speaking of the Secret Service, today the Daily Mail published pictures, pardon me, from the Secret Service investigation into the cocaine found at the White House. And no, they still can't find the owner of the cocaine. They have the pictures, just not whose cocaine it was. It was in a cubby in part of the West Wing where junior staffers and visitors leave their cell phones before walking into a secure office. You can see the cubby right there. The cocaine incident is closed. The shooting and, well missing suspects who were shot at by the Secret Service. And why the Secret Service missed is still under investigation. Coming up next, conventional wisdom is seldom right. The great Bill O'Reilly with us on whether 
We can assume it will be a Trump versus Biden contest a year from now. And the one side in Gaza provides denials, the other side provides video. Why the media treats Hamas and Israel the same. Plus, we'll uncover the truth about what's actually happening below ground in Gaza. You're now entering into the room where we suspect the hostages were being held. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Iowa, it will not be as a presidential uh, candidate. I am suspending my campaign. I, I think the voters uh, who are the most remarkable people on the planet have been really clear that they're telling me uh, not now, Tim. All right, so that's Tim Scott suspending his presidential campaign. Maybe he was running for vice president after all. He says he's not going to endorse anybody. He'll wait and see. As we told you last week, it's now Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley for the number two spot to take on Donald Trump. As you see, the main event premiering in Iowa in January. Of course, Safe Money says who cares about them. It's actually going to be Trump versus Biden in the general election. That's conventional wisdom. But conventional wisdom, one year out, has not been right since 2000. Bush v. Gore ran in front pillow to post. November before the 2004 election, Howard Dean was going to be the Democratic nominee. It turned out to be John Kerry. 2007, it looked like Giuliani versus Clinton. Neither went the distance. That's conventional wisdom for you. 2011, Herman Cain was hot in November. Mitt Romney went on to win the nomination and then lose. November 2015, Ben Carson was up six points. He disappeared. November 2019, we had never heard of COVID, and Elizabeth Warren led the polls. Biden was an afterthought. Bill O'Reilly is here, host of the No Spin News. Bill, all right, uh, conventional wisdom going to be right this time around? It's not conventional this time around because both of the front runners are very well known. Um, so there are in-stone voters on both sides. They're not going to change and the um, field for the grand old party, uh, named in 1856, Leland, I know you know that, um, is now down to two, really. Um, it's uh, Ambassador Haley and Governor DeSantis. And I don't think either of them have the juice to uh, overcome Trump, who's inoculated himself against all these charges. Uh, his supporters don't care. They think it's a bunch of hooey. And so I think... Trump is pretty much a lock. Biden, anything can happen. And the man is diminishing yeah. quickly, as we've discussed. Um, he's going to have a real problem with the Hunter Biden grifting stuff. More of that's going to come out. Axelrod doesn't want him to run, which means Obama doesn't want him to run, because Axelrod and Obama are one and the same. So Biden, uh, I'm not sure. I, I'm pretty sure Trump will be there. Look, I, I agree with you. Um, we said a long time ago that the real drama is going to probably be on the Democratic side, not on the Republican side, just because of where it is. And, and that would hold, right? Or a year out, it wouldn't be what people um, thought it was. You made a great point, though, I think, that the, the Trump is inoculated um, with his supporters as it comes to uh, the issues that have been brought up before and 
the indictments and everything else. Yet there is some who just can't seem to give up that ghost. Here is an interview with Ronna McDaniel, uh, the RNC chairwoman, about that. If you end up having Donald Trump as your nominee and if he is convicted of a crime, do you believe that he would be the appropriate nominee for the Republican Party? Whoever the voters choose is the appropriate nominee. Even if, even if he's a convicted criminal? I know this is newsworthy, but as party chair, I'm going to support who the voters choose. And yes, if they choose Donald Trump. For people who for so long told us that democracy, the rule of law, preservation of democracy was so important, why do they seem so interested in trying to take away if Donald Trump wins the nomination, something he won. Because there's a fear that uh, Trump will go in and run on his record. And if he ever did that, if Donald Trump ever ran on his record, he'd win by a landslide. The problem with Donald Trump is he doesn't run on his record. He runs on the feud du jour, Leland. Whatever feud he's in that day is what he's running on. He doesn't run on his record. His record is pretty damn good. If you look at it, it's light years better than Biden's record. But Donald Trump is his own guy, and he's got the drummer, and he's dancing to the drummer. I feel like feud du jour is like the soup du jour, which sounds interesting sometimes, but it's never really the best thing. Um, on the menu, you brought up Nikki Haley, who you said you didn't you didn't think had uh, the chops to to take on Donald Trump. Interestingly enough, she's got a lot of money. She just spent uh, ten million dollars that she announced in ad buys in the initial states: Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina. Take a listen. I've never lost a race. I'm not going to start now. There's a new sheriff in town. Don't mess with Nikki Haley. You should know this about me. I don't put up with boys. I wear heels. It's not for a fashion statement. It's because if I see something wrong, we're going to kick them every single time. She seems to focus a lot on her high heels, right? It's not a statement. It's ammunition on and on and on. That said, um, if she goes toe to toe with Donald Trump, it's one on one at some point uh, early on. Say, let's just say Iowa before New Hampshire, after Iowa before New Hampshire. Can he do to her... Um, as a woman, what he was so effective in doing in the 2016 primary? Maybe. Um, I think Haley is a good VP choice for Donald Trump. So if he would agree with me, and I don't know whether he does or not, he'd lay off her because she's not going to beat him out, right? You say it's going to be Haley against uh, Trump, that's not going to happen. There's always going to be DeSantis there mm. to water her down, to dilute her support. And Trump's support is going to remain pretty rock solid in the Republican precincts. But I would take a hard look at Ambassador Haley as a second slot. And if Trump got run over by a bus tomorrow, and if it's in New York City, there would be a lot of people who like to drive that bus, uh, Haley could beat Biden outright. And and I think pretty handily as well. Interesting you say that, because the polling that came out today, as you pointed out, has Trump beating Biden. It it does not have Ron DeSantis beating Biden. It has DeSantis losing. Bill, it's always good to see you. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me in. See you soon. Yes, sir. We finally have conclusive proof of what's happening in the hospitals of Gaza. And that's important, because even the New York Times can't figure out what's happening there. Like this story. 
Israeli forces near a struggling hospital, they say, covers a Hamas complex. Israeli officials say that Hamas has built a complex under Al-Shifa Hospital, a major Gaza hospital. Hamas denies it, that it is operating from beneath the hospital, whose patients face dire conditions amid power cuts. To the New York Times, both sides are the same, right? Israel claims X, Hamas denies it, who knows? Which makes this tape from the Israeli Defense Forces giving a tour of a hospital in Gaza so important. They actually started the tape in a residential part of Gaza, enter a tunnel, and then end up inside the hospital. You can see the tunnel. The tunnel is let down more than 20 meters down. The robot found a door, a door that is bulletproof. It's, uh, it's explosive proof. So it looks like a hard evidence, a clear evidence that the hospital direction is connected. We have hand grenades, Kalachnikovs, and then we have the RPGs. People shooting RPGs from hospitals. This is Hamas, firing RPGs for hospitals. And proof is important, right? Facts, I was once told, matter. And nothing matters than the truth, what's actually happening. For no other reason than the media at all seems to be very concerned about hospitals in Gaza. At least four hospitals are now located in areas of bombardment. Yeah, it's uh, clearly a, a really, um, you know, fraught situation there for, for your staff. How do you intend to go after Hamas without putting sick and injured civilians in that hospital at more risk than they already are? Even getting a couple of terrorists or a terrorist cell doesn't justify targeting a hospital. Even President Biden talked about it today. Hospitals must be protected, but nobody seems to care what's actually happening inside the hospital. Isaac Shores here, staff writer for our friends at Mediate, the world's premier website for the news about the news. Isaac, it's good to see you. I can't figure this out. Um, There seems to be so much interest in taking and willingness by the media to take Hamas, uh, who we know lie for a living, uh, at face value. And then so much skepticism at anything Israel puts out. Why is that? Yeah, it's very strange. It's almost like they're covering the conflict um, like it's a quarrel between two equally at fault siblings. And like you say, that's the um, that's really at the root of a lot of the problems we've seen in the media coverage so far. Um, it's hard to put a pin on it, especially because of the moral clarity we've seen out of the media um, in the war between Russia and Ukraine, you know, there's media reporters swooning over Zelensky every time he talks about, you know, light versus darkness in his fight. Um, and yet they wince when Netanyahu does the same. And I think that the troubling reason for that is that anti-Semites have successfully corrupted an entire class of useful idiots into believing that the cause of the Palestinians is progressive and that Israelis are somehow oppressors here. And Regardless of the facts, regardless of what's going on on the ground, um, there's that overriding premise that just hangs over everything. Yeah, we said that the reason that people are tearing down the posters of the hostages who are by all accounts innocent in this is because uh, they, Israel must be demonized in every way. Israel cannot allow to be seen as a victim in any way, to your point, to, to be the, the oppressors. It's, it's interesting to me, though, how at times you have kind of conflicting 
issues for progressives and for the media, of issues they care so much about. For example, um, we know from interrogations that Hamas came in with detailed plans of their attack. This is according uh, to the Israeli defense minister, including which commander should rape which soldiers in different places. And that is something that was actually removed, a quote, removed from an article the Washington Post wrote. And I guess the question would be, right, um, where is the Me Too movement? Why is... Uh, skepticism for Israel and uh, very kind thoughts towards the Palestinians at the very top of the intersectional pyramid that so many newsrooms live by. Yeah, I think it's in the news right now, so that it just shoots to the top. But it's like you say, I mean, you mentioned the Post. I saw the LA Times did the same thing to a column um, written by Jonah Goldberg. Uh, They affixed an editor's note two days after the attack saying, you know, these reports of sexual atrocities have not been substantiated. And since then, they absolutely have. I mean, that was questionable when it was originally added. But um, now it's been confirmed twice, three times, four times, five times over. And they still just Mm. refuse to take down that disinformation. Um, And it's really disturbing. I, I, I don't have a good explanation for it. What I think is interesting is that for really for the world to see if Palestinian civilians are the issue, that there are Palestinian civilians inside hospitals. They're being held by Hamas. And the Israelis put out proof, and it's as if it, it, as if it didn't happen. Um, Isaac, we appreciate it. Thank you. I thought the, cor- the quarreling siblings was, a, uh, was an interesting way to look at this. Thank you. Coming up next, a young man springs into action to protect his friend from bullies. The gang then turned on him and killed him. Jonathan Lewis's father joins us next, two weeks after they killed his son. Why haven't police arrested a single person? Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. This video is hard to watch, but you need to. Young man tried to save his friend from a bunch of bullies he paid with his life. This is video of the attack, the dozen or so kids beat Jonathan Lewis to death. And as I said, don't look away, don't change the channel. Because Jonathan deserves justice. His father reports the gang attacked when he tried to protect a smaller kid that had been robbed and thrown in a trash can by the gang. Somebody was laying on the ground and they were like out of commission and incapacitated. Right in that parking lot, I saw somebody uh, getting chest compressions, a CPR, the police came, ambulance, fire truck. Hmm. And almost two weeks later now, police haven't arrested anybody. It's on video. 
be easy right now to say it's an all-black mob beating a white kid. If it had been a white mob beating a black kid, well, then Kamala Harris would personally be prosecuting the case out in Nevada. But there is a deeper problem here. And that's what we want to talk about with Jonathan Lewis Sr. That's Jonathan's dad. We appreciate you being here, Jonathan. I'm, I'm really sorry about your son. Uh, it's clear you raised him right if he was stepping in to try to, to stand up for an, another, young, another young child. Um, what, it, what is it about him that made him want to do that, you think? Well, um, my family's full of veterans. Uh, my dad's a retired Navy Special Ops Master Diver, and um, my grandfather's a highly decorated War II veteran, multiple Purple Hearts, and uh, yeah, I grew up my whole life wanting to serve the military. I joined the military the day I turned 18, and um, I think that Jonathan just uh, knew the great strength of love. You know, that's what we teach in our family, that love is the greatest strength, and we protect our family members and care for one another and have a deep sense of community. And I think that that just inspired him to do so. Any idea why it's taken police so long? You've got you've got the videotape. Um, as we know from law, from the law, you don't have to be the one to, to deal the fatal blow. If you're part of a gang that attacks somebody and somebody dies, you you get arrested for murder. That's just the way it works. Why is it taking so long? Well, um, I'm in close contact with uh, Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department's detective division, and they are working very diligently. They haven't given me a reason why they haven't made an arrest yet, but uh, they do have, there's other videos that are not released to the public, just so that you're aware of that. And exactly what occurred was that uh, Jonathan was actually attacked first by a few kids, and they couldn't beat him up because he was so strong. And then so all the other kids joined in and beat him to death after that. Wow. Wow. I, 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 I'm just stunned. You think the police are dragging their feet for some reason? I can't, I can't figure it out. Well, I, uh, I can tell you that I've had sat down and have meetings with these detectives and they're very highly efficient at their work. I think that there's a lot of other unique factors involved. Um, unfortunately, the school went and gathered up some of these kids and before, even though they were told not to. And, you know, I think that they were just trying to help, but uh, it ended up causing a lot of problems. So the investigation yeah. got more complex. Yeah. Jonathan, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, and I know, I know you, raised, you raised your son right uh, in a really incredible way. And I'm, I'm just, I'm thankful that there, there are people like him out there. Um, appreciate your time, sir. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you very much. And I just hope that uh, the community can kind of come together and find a sense of peace and love for each other. Yeah. Thank you, sir. It's hard to argue with that message. We'll keep following the case as well, because um, justice is important as well. We'll talk soon. Coming up next, $75 million for Jimbo Fisher to sit on his rear end. If you don't know, he's a college football coach who just got fired. Turns out all of us, you, me, everybody, is subsidizing that 70-plus million-dollar golden parachute. We're going to follow the parachute and the money next. Oh, all right. Start again. Turns out the electric car utopia 
Well, need something not so green. You got to cut down zillions of trees to make the electric poles to carry the electricity for the green electric cars. Take a look at the numbers. Over the last two years, the two leading lumber companies, including Stella and Jones, were up, well, one of them was up almost 100%. That well outpaced the S&P 500 at 16%. Good news for our next guest, Walter and Barbara McPhail. The husband and wife team grow utility poles and are board members for the Forestry Association of South Carolina. Uh, really, can we trace the, all this back to everybody loving EVs and you guys are growing more poles? Absolutely not. We're growing more poles because they're profitable. And uh, we have poles and we have wood and salt timber, but poles bring 100% more for our timber. So we, we want to grow big poles. But what we're having, there's 150 million trees that, of poles in the United States. And they need to come from our land and other forest landowners. And with that, we got a strong pole that will be good for wind and hurricanes, and it's easily fixed. I've done a lot of interviews. I've done a lot of interviews in my life. I've never interviewed a tree farmer. Um, it's fascinating. You said 100. percent I'm. I'm not. I'm not from. I'm. I'm not good at business, but 100 uh, percent growth sounds like a, like a pretty good thing. Um, is this the kind of thing that people can get from overseas, or all of a sudden they're going to start in, importing these poles from China or Indonesia or something like that, or do they most of them come from America? Great question. But most of the poles are grown in the 13 southern states. With the pine forest that we have, they will not be coming from overseas. They will not be imported, and they will not be a lot made from concrete or steel. So green, as you see these trees, is our we were green before green became fashionable. Green <laughs> is growing. For every tree we cut down, we plant a 10 back. Right. So this is right. a one renewable resource that we can continue well, to grow and use. I, 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 I get that. I get that. But I want to I get Barbara in on this. Uh, what I'm, I'm curious about, like, how long does it take to grow one of these? And it, at some point, if we... We start cutting all these things down now, and I, I get it. Business is good. You got to sell when there's people buying. But what happens when the the next lot starts falling down, and they're trying to build even more electrical lines? So it takes 35 years to grow a pine tree to this height to be able to to, to cut it. But then again, we plant back 10 trees for every tree we cut. So wow. there will be more trees. I love it. It's so cool. I appreciate both of you joining. I, I got to say, it's nice. It's really nice to have people on the show who are doing well. Uh, obviously, business is booming for you guys, uh, and you just seem like such nice people who are, who are hardworking and, and taking good care of, uh, of our country and, and growing some impressive trees. Congratulations. We'll talk soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up. Talk about a good job. This, this job is even better than tree farming because you don't have to do it. million to sit at home. It's happening for one college football coach, former college football coach. And we, all of us, whether you live in Texas or not, are paying the bill. We'll tell you why next. Always going to do things right, but we're always going to be here. We're doing a heck of a job. These coaches have done a great job. Our players have done a great job. The whole organization of recruiting people. 
Well, always going to be here might have been a stretch. Texas A&M University, though, will pay their coach, Jimbo Fisher, like he's always going to be there. In fact, they're going to pay him $77 million. That in and of itself should be offensive. It's taxpayer money. That money could provide scholarships to 1,500 students. What is worse is they are paying him $77 million not to coach. So they're buying out his contract to try and find a better coach. Therefore, Jimbo can laugh all the way to the bank or all the way to his next coaching job or to the golf course because he gets the money regardless. So even if he takes a new job, he still gets to keep the $77 million. We told you in the beginning what an outrage this was because not that there's a college football coach being paid $77 million, which sort of makes a real farce of this concept of student athletes and on and on and on and shows you what it really is, which is a business more importantly, it shows you that we are all subsidizing this. Texas A&M gets huge tax deductions and tax breaks. People who donate to Texas A&M get tax breaks. Therefore, all of our taxpayer dollars, all of us who pay taxes, are subsidizing Jimbo Fisher's $77 million golden parachute. It's pretty incredible when you think about it. Players, of course, still don't get paid. As we've said, college athletics, well, seems to be getting worse, not better. Something else getting worse is the war in Gaza. There is a humanitarian crisis going on there. We showed you earlier in the show how Hamas uh, continues.